Dude, the world's strongest prison is right between your two ears. Ooh. Guys, we just finished an awesome conversation with a personal hero of mine, Apollo Ono. Greg, what'd you have on it? Usually we talk about startup trends, where the world's going, startup ideas. This hit absolutely different. We talked about life lessons. We talked about happiness. We talked about so much that don't I think doesn't get talked enough about. Totally true. We also talked about a personal passion project of mine. We are going to buy the X Games. So WAG BXG, you're gonna love it. Let's just dive right in. Greg, why do you look so tired? I look so tired because I did not sleep last night. Have you never slept well or is this a new thing? It's not that I can't fall asleep. I fall asleep like right away. But I wake up a couple hours later and I'm just sitting in my bed and I look at the ceiling and I can't fall back asleep and I don't know what to do. So I was literally you. And for the longest time, I was this like hustle culture bro, sleep when I'm dead, didn't want to sleep, didn't care about my sleep. And then I honestly, I started reading more of the research and realizing how impactful sleep is to your longevity, to your health, all of these other things. And as part of that, I found 8sleep, which has completely revolutionized the way I sleep. I've heard of 8sleep. Can you tell me more about it? Think of it as like the future of sleep. All of these mattress companies have created these mattresses. They're just stock. They're stock mattresses. 8sleep is technology plus sleep combined. So the whole product is built around optimizing the temperature that you sleep at. And so you've read about sleeping cold is the key to sleeping. And it's not quite true. Everyone has a different optimal sleep temperature and it changes throughout the night, which is the crazy part about it. So you might need really cold to fall asleep and then you might need it to be a little bit warmer to keep you asleep. And the eight sleep actually transitions your temperature through the night to keep you at the optimal sleep, temp sleep temperature at any point during the night. It keeps you asleep, it helps you fall asleep faster. And I actually, since I started using it, have been sleeping better and feeling so much more energized during the day as a result. Sounds like I need an eight sleep. I think everyone needs an eight sleep. So if you're tuning in right now and you want to try out the eight sleep to completely change the way you sleep, rest, recover so that you're ready to take on all of life's challenges, check out eightsleep.com slash where it happens to get a discount on your first product. Here's a tip. Don't be like Greg Eisenberg. Be like Sahil Bloom. <laughs> Four Sigmatic is the secret sauce behind the Where It Happens podcast. You know how much I've been talking about that hot cocoa, the one that's jam-packed with the reishi mushrooms. It absolutely has been transforming my mornings. I have it at night, completely chills me out, takes out all my stress, and allows me to have a good night's rest. After those long days of tequila on the set, I'm sure that's helpful. I mean, it does help. The sweet vanilla plant-based protein is the one that I've been going to. After my workouts in the mornings, it's been a game changer. 18 grams of plant-based protein, adaptogens, jam-packed with mushroom goodness. It's been a complete game changer for me. So to go check it out, go to foursigmatic.com and use code THEROOM at checkout. What's going on, man? Not much. Uh, I want, there's a bunch of shit I want to talk about today, so I kind of just want to dive right into it. But I saw this really cool thing the other day. Um, this in the, I think it was in the Wall Street Journal. There was this article about um, chess. And ever since Queen's Gambit on Netflix, I've been like sort of into chess. And... Um, it was this article about Magnus Carlsen, who's like the most legendary, I think now considered the most legendary chess player of all time. 
And um, it's about his like new nemesis who like right now, I think as we speak, they're playing in Dubai in the like world chess championship. It's like a best of 13 or something series and they keep facing off. Um, and the cool thing about the story and like the human interest side of it was that this guy, Ian Nepo something, it's a very complicated last name, uh, was a, basically a prodigy. Like he served as the second, they call it, for Magnus Carlsen like seven years ago at this event, which is the person that basically like shadows you and kind of like plays the opposing role to you. And so it's like at the time, people were saying, oh, wow, this is kind of crazy. Uh, Magnus Carlsen's using this guy. Like this guy might end up being one of the best players in the world. He might have to face off against him. And then it would have been an advantage. And now like seven years later, they're literally facing off against each other in the championship. And this guy apparently is like the best chance at taking down Magnus Carlsen that has happened in the last like 10, you know, 10, 15, years whatever since this guy's been around that's insane so it's kind of cool it's like a um it's this cool story of like something actually coming to fruition and like the prodigy like is actually coming and going to take down the mentor the um, student has become the teacher yeah it's kind of cool so i was like reflecting on it and one of the things i was reflecting on with it was like why do i even give a shit about chess i had never played chess I played that was my next bit. question well yeah i like never played growing up really i dabble but queen's gambit was my connection point to chess. And it was during COVID. Yep. Queen's Gambit, if you haven't seen it, is like this show on Netflix. Freaking amazing. It was so good, yep. so engaging. And when I looked it up at, to do some research for this episode, I saw that like chess uh, play and chess purchases skyrocketed after Queen's Gambit hit. And so it was this very cool example to me of like culture um, and media driving some like esoteric uh, nuanced niche sport um, or game or whatever it is into mainstream. Um, and that got me thinking about an idea that I want to talk more about. Um, and that idea is I want to buy the X Games. I like where this is headed. <laughs> so just to set the stage for anyone that doesn't know, the X Games were an extreme sports event, not dissimilar to the Olympics. Um, there was like a winter and a summer started by i think by espn in like 1995 providence rhode island was the first x games um and became a kind of a mainstay like for the 2000s when i was a kid the x games were kind of dope like you had the winter x games sean white was like the big guy the snowboarder red hair um you had uh, you know like the tony hawks of the world and the skateboarding on the x games it was a big deal it was a big thing um and then somewhere along the line in like the 2010s and beyond it started to languish and it declined. I don't know whether actual uh, uh, participation in those sports declined or whether just ESPN and Disney after they acquired ESPN did just a poor job kind of amplifying um, the games or what it was. But somewhere along the line, it started to decline. And it's not like extreme sports declined. It was just, I don't think, I don't think that was the case. I don't think so. I mean, I, I'm on the board of some companies in the space and it's been like GDP growth, low single digit growth, generally speaking in these extreme sports, but fervent, you're a community guy, fervent communities. People just love the sports, are very, very into it. Um, and so it got me thinking about the X Games and what's going on with them. And so I did some research. Turns out ESPN last year said they were trying to sell them. They are prioritizing streaming and other things at the Disney level. And so ESPN is trying to rid themselves of this. Originally, they wanted $100 million and they were going to keep producing it. No one took them up on it. And so then they were offering the X Games. You could buy all of the IP of the X Games for $50 million. And I want to go buy it. And I'm very, I'm quite, quite serious about it. And I want to like, 
I want you to tell me why I'm being dumb or why this isn't going to work. So my vision for the X Games is you go and you create a cultural moment. So like what did Queen's Gambit do so well with chess? What did Drive to Survive, the Formula One, do so well that vaulted Formula One? It was that they created a personality, a face that actually went with these sports. Um, Drive to Survive, previously it was watching a car on a track and it was like you're just driving around. All of a sudden you watch Drive to Survive and you know the faces of all these athletes. Suddenly I'm looking and it's like, that's not just a car, that's Lewis Hamilton, that's Max Verstappen. Um, and that completely changed the game. Formula One viewership through the roof now in America as a result, crazy. Why can't you do that exact same thing with the X Games? Amazing personalities with big cult social followings, good looking people in general that are very athletic and working on really cool things. You have the base of this fervent community. All you need to do is suddenly like expand that with a cultural moment. And I think you could do that by creating one of these like kind of follow along like rags to riches type stories where you're following people and the personalities and you create these personalities and this tension that then you can play off of in the games. So, so much I love about this. Sometimes I like to just disagree with you on Please stuff. Please do. But it's hard to on this one. I think like the question for me really is like beyond the content production of, hey, let's let's commemorate these people and create these moments. Um, what else is different in, in, in this new version of the X game? So for me, like what what I would do is I would web threeify mm. the X the X games, right? Like give people a vote. Um, let's like, do this. Let's do this exercise. This is a great I, I love that you went this direction. I hadn't thought of this. I was thinking like you just go do the X Games in a new way with this culture moment. Let's do the, what is Web3 X Game? What does the Web3 future of the X Games look like? Well, I think the first is, to your point, you start with the, the athlete and you uh, reward the top 1,000 fans of each athlete with an airdropped NFT or token. And that token gives you, you know, certain access and the, and you could vote on where this person can go or what they can do. You can go to different events. I think like, I, I love the idea of like, if there's 5,000 athletes, um, on, on the X games, like five, they should be throwing, there should be an event every single day that these athletes are throwing and that are bringing like local communities together. It shouldn't be that these athletes play just for one week in the, the summer and the winter, but that they're like, like musicians, they're touring, you know, two thirds of the year. And I think with your idea around content and creating content, which is just essentially excuses to talk about things and web three's ability to reward fans and give them certain levels of access and, and voting. I think that, you know, that version of the X Games is is yeah interesting. Yeah, so what you're hitting on is super interesting, which is when you go and do this, the X Games IP doesn't give you access to the athletes. You need to give the best athletes in these extreme sports a reason to be a part of this. And so part of the whole pitch, I think, Web3 actually creates a really good pitch here, which is we're going to give the athletes and we're going to prioritize the athletes with immense tools 
to become monetizable in a much deeper way and to create way more access and we're going to build IP around you as an athlete that we know is going to expand the value of the X Games and the property we're building, but it's going to arm you with ways to monetize that you never previously had. You have big social followings. Now we're gonna give you, arm you with ways to leverage NFTs for specific access to events, to AMAs, to different things you know, super fandom around you. We're going to go, we're going to go do, um, an interesting like series tour rather than just having it be a summer and a winter games where it's like so event driven and it's a couple of weeks, we're going to make it a much longer thing. We're going to do this show around it. Maybe there's NFT access to the show where you now have uh, people that are kind of directing and pitting matchups within it so that it's like creating and stoking intrigue the same way, Conor McGregor kind of created, um, you know, UFC in a big way. I mean, actually, UFC is a great case study of this because I've seen an interview with Dana White where I was just talking to my friend who launched um, the XFL. Sam Schwarzstein is his name. He was at Stanford with me and he launched the XFL. It unfortunately fell apart due to COVID, but it was an incredible case study of going and trying to do something innovative. He was telling me this story about Dana White um, and Dana White talks about Basically, UFC was on its last dollar, and they threw a Hail Mary, and that Hail Mary was the like ultimate fighter series thing that they did, where it was like a uh, reality show of trying to make it to the octagon and like go make it to the top. And that was fundamentally like going and doing something that kind of uh, created personalities and created a vibe around it, and we're going to go do that for these athletes. It's going to create immense value for them and make the games much more valuable, also make these athletes much more valuable. The other layer to this, which I have to say, uh, is I think we should form a DAO to go buy the X Games. Right. And it would be the first time that like a large uh, games property IP was owned by a government, you know, collective body and a community. And it would be so cool because the games themselves and the sports have such amazing communities. And so to be able to involve the communities in the decision making around what these games look like, what these properties, media properties look like, what the um, web threeification looks like, it would be such a cool example and case study. And like Constitution Dow just went and raised 40 or something like that to go try to buy the Constitution. It's a piece of paper. No utility to it. The X Games, that's like real utility. I mean, there's an event. There's things you can go to. There's like real business value to that. And so I'm staring at it like we should we should go form a DAO to go buy the X Games. Yeah, I think uh, what I like about this idea is there's there's so much trust that's been built between athletes and viewers already, and the communities exist, and it's just about like you mentioned, kind of like stoking the you know giving the tools or arming the rebels for athletes, and it's also about arming the the audience like it's give you know supercharging the audience so that they could be more involved and get involved so um i love i like this idea i also it gets me thinking about like will traditional sports leagues like the nfl nhl mlb start embracing web3 or will there have to be or will there be like dows buying the xfl the x games whatever or Will there be like brand new Web3 sports leagues and esports leagues that come out? And we're starting to see this. I think there's one, I forget the name, in, in esports. Um, I think uh, that's the question. And I believe that 
we're probably like number three and number two are, are more likely to happen. Yeah, it's an interesting question because um, sports are a great place for this to happen because yeah. fundamentally the community is creating the value. Like, and it's about tribal. the Green Bay Packers. What is the value of the Green Bay Packers but for the incredible fandom that's built around it? And when I think about the X Games, that's what I think about. That's why I'm so excited about this idea, honestly. And so I want to do it. I'm actually being fairly serious about it. I don't think $50 million is actually, I don't know whether it's a Dow or if you go pitch an investment fund on going and doing it and going and doing it. But if I can't get excitement around a Dow, I don't know what I can get excitement around. <laughs> um, and so I'm actually pretty serious. Like, WAG BXG. WAG BXG. We're going to buy the X Games. There you go. <laughs> That's what I'm coining. Um, but we should bring in our guest yep. to talk about this because our guest today is, this is crazy for me. He's like someone that. He's I've like your looked, hero. Well, I, hero, I don't know. Maybe it's a strong word. I've looked up to him for a long time. Grew up watching him um, compete, win at the highest level, two Olympic gold He's medals. someone you look up to. Yeah, I think yeah. he's amazing. Um, and I've recently connected with him in this new life context, and we've become friends. And that's crazy to me. Yeah. That, like, how the world, like, the universe, and the way this has all come together. And now we get to sit down with him and chat. Absolutely. So we're going to bring in our guest, Apollo Ono. And we're looking forward to the conversation. We're going to buy the X Games. First time that uh, we've interviewed someone with multiple gold medals. <laughs> yeah, first time. <laughs> Maybe the last. I, we might get Michael Phelps on the show. But for now, most gold medals ever won on the Where It Happens show. So uh, enjoy it. WAG BXG. Did you guys go to the yacht party yesterday? No, I heard about it, though. It was like a Lesso and Marshmallow? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, dude, I just like left before they even performed. Yeah. And then someone was like asking, someone was asking me, and they're like, why would you do that? And I was like, that's a good question. And then like, I came to the realization, I was like, I just, I personally don't really care. Yeah, exactly. I'm I love the their way. music. I love Marshmallow. I've done events with them before. Um, <clears throat> you know, like I love Alesso. I've done stuff with him in the past. But I guess like, you know, when we have like different career paths or different things that are what we believe to be important in those time frames. Yeah. We then like carve out time. And yeah. You're also able to make better decisions around stuff like that when you're sober. So like the fact that you don't drink, I actually think helps I'm you. I'm making a bad decisions while I'm sober. Imagine if I wasn't. Yeah, well, like <laughs> seriously, I mean, like I have a really tough time making a decision to leave something and like make that trade off when I'm like past the point of being a bit drunk. Like I just that's when I'm like someone comes up and says like, oh come on, it's marshmallow, and I realize later I'm like I don't care <clears throat> if marshmallows here. I don't even know who that is. Really. That's that's my my take is that there's so much <laughs> yeah. noise out there and then there's this, like i see people on twitter saying like oh i need to be an art basil i need to be an art basil it's like you don't actually like you might have a really good time at art basil and that like it might be super fun but like from like a career business perspective my take right now is that new world that we live in like just go and build the thing that you're building be in the discord just yeah like <laughs> it's probably more alpha anyway. yeah and like get a good night's sleep yeah. yeah, I do think, I mean, like, when, when you're first trying to get into it, immersing yourself in it in a yeah. few different ways. Like, I, I had never really spent time <laughs> in the, like, crypto NFT Web3 world <laughs> until NFT week. And I spent that whole week going to events. And that was the first time I was just like, oh, I was just, holy shit, man. Like, there's the the techno optimism of it, the, like, positive sum mentality of people all being together and all of the, like, cool things that were being built. And just, like, the wild shit that was happening around it i found amazing i just thought it was mm. so cool to see mm. um and so for me that was like 
that was definitely worth it. The second, you know, it's diminishing returns, right? The second set of events, you're like, like this week, I'm not quite as motivated to go to the full slate that I went to that week. That's awesome that you feel like um, that. It's a good perspective. Well, because I'm going to see the same people for the most part, right? To your point, it's the same people. One thing I want to add, because Bob Back, just my friend, just walked in. One of the reasons I left that party was it was like one of those like big lines guest list yeah. bouncers yeah. and like I had a plus one but they didn't honor my plus so one so it's very LA New York yeah exactly very and LA. honor my plus one so my friend couldn't get into I the, heard it was very strict very strict and like I kind of don't want to be in the like I don't want to be in that room straight up I actually do not want to be in that room because like, you don't believe in that like exclusivity unnecessary I don't like that vibe like I, I don't know it's something I guess I grew up with like I just don't I don't like the vibe where it's like there's some people who are excluded I don't like that exclusionary vibe where they make a line for no like no reason yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, that's I'm, interesting yeah that's I, interesting I, it's also web like crypto and web three like it's i personally i think of it as like open access meritocracy borderless anyone can do it a kid on the streets in india has the same access to that discord channel as a kid growing up in greenwich going to a country club i keep using that example but it's very true and so then when you like stick a line in front of something and it's like guest list oh you're not on this list you can't come in it actually does feel anti the ethos of what we're all here for and what we're trying to build that's why i like fwb so they're throwing a party tonight Except the party is you just need at five right. five FWB. Right. What is that? How much does that cost? What is five FWB tokens now? I don't know. They're Fifty bucks maybe. Okay. We're talking. Okay. You know. Okay. So it's like nothing crazy, okay. and and they allow people to go and buy it, which versus like, hey, I'm gonna select who is on, and this is not a, a you know, I'm not trying to like this Kygo. Like I'm sure you yeah. know he's a great guy, and like the people who do the event Moonpay is like they're great. I love them. I love that team. It's not like a knock on them. It's just like a knock on like yeah. the list, like culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think we are, are. Are we rolling? Okay. Yeah, he hit us with the cold open. So we were. Yeah, we're good. It's but very, to uh, me, that's like very human, though. Yeah. But like, so I think, you know, like right now we've got these like layers, right? And everyone's like trying to put these layers. Like you've got this bottle of bottle of like liquids that are like in chemistry, and every like layer is like labeled something, right? And right now it's like all shaken up. Everything's mixed up, right? And over time, that shit just goes back to normal, right? Because humans are still operating in the same kind of Neanderthal-like ego-based, still chasing the same thing. And I think we like to hide behind this idea that we're here for maybe a greater purpose and cause. And I do believe that is the case, like if you really zoom out, but still I think in the acute moments, we're still driven by the same things that we want, desire, want to reflect upon. I mean, it's the same cultural phenomenon that's existing. We're just using different tools to exemplify what we believe we should be hiding behind or represent in certain perspective. I don't know. That's how, that's my take. You know, like There's a lot to unpack there. Um, I agree with you in principle. I do think, I think humans are status signaling monkeys the exact same way we were 10,000 years ago. And I think we're seeing a lot of the manif new manifestations of that. Um, and I do, th I, I agree with you. There's like, there's nothing, I, I'm not a particularly religious person, so I don't particularly believe in like some, you know, brilliant afterlife. I sort of just believe that you're here to procreate and you're here to <laughs> hopefully have fun and smile on the way, but that the reality of it is like your purpose is what you make of it. And if you can, you know, create and rationalize a purpose and something that motivates you and makes you happy, then that's great. <clears throat> I like 
that's also why I just believe in being nice to people. And I like being around people who are just like it, you and I only recently met. But the first time I met you, I was like, this is just an, like I, I admired you and looked up to you for a long time as a kid because of your work ethic and the things you were doing and what you were about and the things you spoke about. And then I met you and I was like, oh, this is just as positive a guy as I hoped. And that's not always the case that you meet people and you, you feel that same way that um, they just you want other people to succeed and you're happy and you just like that vibe and that personality I think is infectious. Mm. And so it bums me out when you then meet people and they don't have that or they're kind of a dick. And you're just like, why are you being an asshole? We were talking about this last night with a famous investor that we all know. It's like, why are you a dick? Like, there's absolutely no value to just being an asshole. Just be nice to people. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, so anyway, it's a weird transition. But I... Um, well, I mean, the transition... Yeah. I, I will say, because I, I don't know you. We, we just met like a second ago. <laughs> but I will say that we've done... This is our fifth recording today. Yeah. And three out of five people, when we've said that you're coming in, they were like, oh, that guy's such a good guy. That's such a nice guy. That's oh, awesome. tell him I say what up. Yeah, you know? that's awesome. So, what, you know, I feel like... You're leaving a trail. You're leaving a trail, and I feel... And I think... Well, so first, nice to meet you. Nice to meet you. Second of all... jumped well, right in. Well, yeah. Yeah, it's the cold <laughs> open, man. I love the cold open. But it is... Um, <laughs> This whole thing is very funny to me, and um, we're gonna die. I swear we're gonna talk some like interesting yeah. life and business stuff. But the whole like I do need to track the course of this because, as I said, I grew up watching you and really admiring your career and everything you were about and your work ethic. I was someone that was striving for something athletically, and it was very um, empowering to me to see someone that had worked at something so hard and your grind and the effort you put in. I thought was amazing. Um, what I now think is amazing is we live in a world and we're doing things where somehow our paths have crossed and we've connected. And now I'm sitting here and I'm having this weird like holy shit life moment of someone that I like grew up watching, admiring. All of a sudden I can sit and have a conversation with and learn things from and be, be present with. And hopefully other people can listen to it, benefit from it in the same way I felt I did. Um, so there's this crazy thing happening, at least for me in my mind, of like the universe and the way all of this stuff comes together. And so I'm just personally very grateful and excited to, uh, excited to get to chat about tech, business, Web3, your ethos on life. Um, can we start with so your excited. idea you're talking about? Yes, I do want to start there. I do want to start there. So the way the way the show works is super casual. We just like to jam on cool things with with friends. And it's not an interview per se, but we want to like go deep on cool topics. And so one thing I was pitching recently and that Greg and I just spent a little time jamming on is sort of at the it's something you're going to understand because it's at the nexus of like cultural movements and sports. Um, so you're familiar with the X Games? Yep. Okay, so the X Games yeah, have been around for now, like, I don't know, what is it, 25 plus years. Like, it's yeah. been around since 1995. ESPN owned it for forever. Um, has languished. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't, you know, they've kind of, Disney has gone in a different direction, and they're not doing anything with it. Last year, they basically tried, publicly said they were trying to sell it. And so, initially, they said it would cost $100 million to buy it. No one wanted it. They came down and they basically said they would take a $50 million offer for the X Games for all the IP. You want to put a DAO together? I want to create a DAO. You read my mind. I want to create a DAO to buy the X Games. You buy all the IP of the X Games and basically completely reimagine the X Games for a Web3 and crypto-enabled world. NFT access, uh, special events, 
athlete NFTs so that they can further monetize and have and capture more of the value that they're creating with their social presence. Video games, licensed IP, because fucking like skateboarding video games are rock and they were so Tony Hawk Pro Skater was so sick. So an X Games video game, I think would be amazing with all the different sports. Um, sell the rights to the broadcast, make it more of like an event series like UFC rather than just like two times a year, like the Olympics, which you obviously participate in and know about and just do so much more with the IP than I think what, um, what Disney was able to do and what, you know, what ESPN did. Um, <clears throat> so what do you think? Um, what, where am I wrong? Tell me, like, tell me why I'm being an idiot about this. I don't think you're being an idiot about this. I think people did the same thing when they're trying to buy Michael Jordan's old house. Sean Puri. Those are, like, uh, yeah. Like, fractionalize that idea. I think yeah. it was actually a really interesting idea. I mean, in terms of, like, monetization, I think there's some friction points there. I think the idea, in essence, is still strong, right? Like, there's still a strong community that loves extreme sports. Um, just like people love Michael Jordan, as do I. Like, mm-hmm. had I known about that opportunity, I probably would have come in much earlier. Uh, just because I think it's cool to have like some piece of history about someone who I looked up to when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think so. He, he, here's an example that I thought of a long time ago. So I think NBC, you know, who broadcasts and buys like they spend billions of dollars to have the access to the Olympic Games to broadcast them. Um, I think that the, those numbers have been somewhat going down mm-hmm. over time because the cultural shift is changing where I think the Olympics is trying to figure out where it lives inside this next generation's like day mm-hmm. and is it important and why is it important? I think that conversation is kind of an important one. But um, something they did was they invested into Snapchat. I don't, I, I don't know what the amount was. It might've been like 500 million bucks, some like uh, absurd amount of money that I thought it was crazy um, in hopes that that would attract the next generation of viewers. And I thought, I was like, well, why would they just give the money to a public company versus going directly to the creators themselves, the top, top 50 creators in the world, right? Speak different languages and saying, we're going to give you all access rights. We're going to get a whole crew with you each. And you are going to go experience an Olympics like you've never even dreamed of doing. We only ask that you broadcast this daily to your fans, right? And if they did that, how much would that cost to get 50 people in the room? to give them this incredible experience. The creators themselves would love to do this because they're always looking for cool, unique pieces of content. NBC has never had an ability to counter, to, to directly communicate and engage with an audience that they feel really, really behind to. So I, I, I thought about that and I was like, why would they do that? And I just figured out that like, it's, I mean, it's obviously much harder to do, but I mean, that's what I would have done. So like take that idea and then instead of going to the traditional broadcasting rights, like go to the Twitches, go to the existing streaming networks and say like, hey, let's build like an entire like worldwide phenomenon, kind of like what Sean White did with his mm. kind of like, uh, what is it called? Um, Air and Style, I think yep. it's called. Um, and then he sold it, right, to a Chinese-based company. So like I look at stuff like that and I'm like, this is pretty, it's pretty smart, right? So you can definitely create something, it may not even have to be the X Games, but I think the branding is definitely an accelerative tool there. Uh, I think I, it's cool, man. Like, I do think, so I think you're hitting on a lot of the things I've thought about with it too, which n- number one, I think you need to reinstall it in culture. So yeah. you, you brought up that kind of culture has shifted away from it. I see things like culture is now creating movements around all of these topics. Drive to Survive, what they did to Formula One and viewership of Formula One with that Netflix show, the secret sauce of that was they installed personalities behind the car. So when someone's watching, it's not a car anymore, it's Lewis Hamilton or it's Max Verstappen. And you're watching and now you're like invested in that guy because you've seen him without his helmet on and you really see him. 
And you could do that same thing, like an X Games drive to survive or an X Games like Queen's Gambit did it with chess. Chess all of a sudden during COVID became this cool thing. Why not go do something like that where you install personalities? You played a somewhat esoteric sport or you competed in an esoteric sport, but you were a huge personality. You weren't probably able to, in the way you could today, profit from that as much if right. you had NFTs, if you had all these things that you know could have provided unique access, given you the tale of, of value associated with it. Today, we live in a world where these athletes can. They have huge social media followings, a lot of like cult community followings that they could grow and build from. And so you create some sort of show or ecosystem, whether it's streaming or something unique, that installs personalities behind it. And then on the back of that, give those athletes a way to monetize it, to incentivize them to be a part of the new X Games that we're creating. And I think you could, pro I mean, $50 million just doesn't feel like that much to me for something like this. I, I, you could probably go sell the streaming rights to it for the games and finance part of the purchase price of it, because ESPN's not gonna do it, so you couldn't go do something with them. But I, I just have to believe there's a way with all of these new tools we have to give the athletes a reason to do it, to give fans a reason to want to come back and be involved in it. I'm on the board of an action sports company, um, Fox Racing, which is this amazing motocross mountain bike business. And the community and the fandom around it is insane. I, people have tattoos of the Fox logo on their bodies. Like really? That's a next level thing. I, you see bumper <laughs> stickers, tattoos on their body. Like I see people, you go to the races and people have like, oh yeah, check out my Fox tattoo and they show it to you. It's nuts. And so if you can channel that, I mean, that's, that's the, <laughs> that's it's, it's crypto, right? I mean, that's web three is community. Yeah, I mean, I think what we're not talking about here is that in sports, and by the way, preface it, I'm like the most, non-sports guy even though i did drain a couple of three pointers outside he did that's nice, not on nice. camera but someone saw it god saw. someone saw it <laughs> right <clears throat> today fans don't have the ability to really have any say in professional sports like you like for example like baseball is how many games like a 162 it's way 162 too so boring and i bet you if fans had the ability to vote on that decision maybe they'd make it 62 instead of 162 or maybe they change it from 9 innings to 7 innings i don't know but giving them the ability to vote web3 in a web3 oriented way makes a lot of sense to me i think that the fundamental shift that's happening is that people, especially younger people, don't want to be passive consumers of stuff. Mm. And that's why I think Web3 Web is so interesting from like an entertainment and community perspective is if you could, you know, actually enable two-way conversation, mm. um, great things could happen. Have you seen Mad Realities? Yes. Have you seen this new thing? Yes. Have you seen this? No. You'd be interested in this. So it's... Um, I don't, you might have seen it when Clubhouse happened. There were these um, group of women out of NYU that did like NYU chicks roasting tech bros, I yeah. think was like the name of it. And it was this hilarious thing that went Sounds pretty amazing. viral. Shoot your shot. Yeah, like they would come up and pitch something. And it was like a dating thing sort of. And it was very funny and they went very viral. One of the women from it, who I actually went to high school with incidentally, has started this company called Mad Realities, which is the first NFT uh, reality dating show and so anyone you and i can go buy an nft for a rose and then we can vote on the outcomes and actually drive the outcomes of this reality dating show that they're going to film in new york and it's kind of a cool version of exactly what you're saying and the application of that towards this x games idea could be cool you can involve fans in like 
who are you staking head to head in some event because now the personalities matter and you want your athlete to be going against someone you can kind of like pit people head to head i'm i'm meeting somebody on saturday who's raising a a series b basically a fan controlled community economy around sports Honestly, really cool invested it yeah it's pretty, yeah. It, it's, it's pretty cool yeah. um i'm seeing a lot more of it that's cool and i think that's the that's the shift right is going from like one single entity now saying like you know, creator economy, and then now, you know, like your fans should be actually voting and staking based upon what topics and direction that you guys are talking about, how much time you spend, who you should interview next, how you reach out to that person, are they incentivized to, mm. and why? All right, I think that's where the concentration happens. And on sports specifically, I think that's going to happen a lot more. I've seen many iterations of it on the kind of gaming side, so like online kind of gambling side. I've seen a lot of different kind of conversations around what sports looks like and how people can interact. And so just, I think that now we've got like the tools to really actually produce those things in real time. And that's cool, right? Like, I don't know. I mean, it's never going to happen for the Olympics, right? That's such a centralized controlled entity. I mean, at the beginning of this year in January, I remember having a conversation with some friends of mine um, and saying like, hey, like, why don't we produce a DAO to see and identify where the next Olympic city should actually be held? Like a radically transparent way where communities and participants, it's tough, right? Because I think theoretically people don't usually vote when it comes to like mass scale. Um, but what if they could? And what if there was like an economic trail where you could see like, hey, this is going to benefit the local economy in a way that's really, really beneficial. And also this is really important from a societal perspective so that your daughter, son, whoever can see the impact of having Olympic Games here. Or maybe you don't think it's important. Maybe you don't want this here. And you should have a say versus like six people who are controlling a particular entity. So you were an Olympic athlete. Yeah. How many gold medals did you win? Two. Two gold medals. Insane. Gold medalist. Uh, How would you reimagine the Olympic Games? Like if you could change things about the Olympic Games, make them more athlete friendly, make them more fan friendly, like what, what would be the things that you would envision changing about that? Um... That's a great question. That's a long, uh, that's a long question. I think I love the fact that like the world comes together. Um, I, I would like to just see more access, right? That's, that's my biggest thing. So NBC does a really good job of like providing like all different ways to consume the content. Like they're really good at that. But I still think that they, I mean, it could always be improved, right? So like how do you get more people participating um, it's it's a bit of a catch-22, right? Because the Olympics as a whole, as a business, like if you take the USOC, for, the USOPC, the United States Olympic and Paralympic Com- Committee, their business model is to generate medals, which then in turn attract sponsors so that they can continue their jobs and have trickle-down effect to supply the training and resources for Olympic athletes. That's the cycle. That's the feedback loop, right? So it's tough when... Like we talk about like how, what do we want to change because even like with, with mental health and sports today, we want athletes to be open and vulnerable around how they feel. Um, Simone Biles did something that was perhaps previously unthought of by dropping out of an Olympic Games. I think it was four out of the five events she was competing in um, and saying like, hey, this is, I'm not okay. This is not okay. And then we saw the backlash of sensitivity around which polarization view you are taking as an individual saying, hey, I believe that my strongly held um, you know, conditioning says that you should act a certain way, respond a certain way as an athlete because that's what I was believed in. And I get that, like that's how I was brought up, right? But then on the flip side, there's a new era that says, 
well, she's still a human being. I have no idea what she's actually going through. Why should my opinion of how she should represent herself actually come into play at all? She's one in, one individual person. So, like all these, I think about all these different kind of fragments of what's happening in the Olympic space and how much sports has changed and where it's going and why it's important. But I say that because the cycle and the commercialization of the games is all time high and they're just adding sports. Like esports will probably become an Olympic sport at some point. Um, whether I believe that is valid or not, it doesn't really matter, right? I think there's enough people play esports to say like it should be a sport and we should have some kind of control mechanisms around who should be crowned winner and receive a gold medal. Now, like traditional stick and ball sports, uh, American sports, we'll probably say like, that's stupid, we don't believe in it. Just like people will probably point to equestrian or curling and say that that is dumb. Hey, or, I was on the curling team. So <laughs> I take right. personal offense <laughs> to that. You feel triggered? Uh, <laughs> it's okay. I, it was, it was, I had to like, sorry. I, I, had, to, I had to be a part of a team sure. in, yeah. in high school. Yeah. And it just felt like the easiest Curling team. To be, like I mean, I grew up in Canada. Ball. Okay. Side story. I can't believe I'm, you know, we can cut this out. But <laughs> nice. <laughs> or keep it in. Um, but basically, fun times. Biggest game of the year. He like didn't. He he was supposed to be. It's harder than you think. It's harder than you think. No, honestly. And it's, a, it's, it's, it's a cool sport. But what I'm saying is like yeah. because Sorry. it doesn't replicate the athletic belief that I think should be going into like wrestling, for example. Totally. Like to me, wrestling is like one of the hardest sports in the world. Yeah. Right. That's my conditioning and belief because I used to live with those guys Absolutely. and I used to, I watched them train. I know how crazy they are. Right. And I learned a lot from them. But then someone who plays chess. Like, who, it's not that much of a physical sport, although it takes, like, a lot of mental brain power. Like, you know, someone might say, like, well, that's, that's not a sport, but it kind of really is, right? So, I don't know. We're just, like, what would I change about the games, dude? I'd change so many things. Yeah. I think I mean, that the... Um, I, I can't even give you a straight answer. The, like uh, the ability for the athletes... It, what One of the <clears throat> things that, like, broadly bothers me about sports is it's a very short-lived career. You yeah. have an extreme peak of your relevance and your fame mm. and all of these things and the olympic athletes it's even shorter an olympic um gymnasts sometimes get two games but a lot of these olympic athletes like the sprinters mm. they get one game for the most part right. where they are like for three weeks a hero of their entire country and they are not able to capture that value for the long term and i do personally think like i know everyone always says like the bitcoin fixes this web3 fixes this i really do think there's an angle here where like Michael Phelps is an extreme example. You're an extreme example. But there are people where if they minted 100 of their gold medal as an NFT and you could own one of 100 of whoever, Apollo's gold medal as an NFT, there are a lot of people that then like, oh, okay, you get to go to an annual meetup or something and or you get on an AMA and you get to chat with people if they have access to this ticketed events, things like that with it. It's sort <clears throat> of a cool way to like, provide these athletes with more of a payback on all of the effort that they've put in for quite literally their entire lives to get to that point. And I think that there's something beautiful there because so many of these athletes, they're, re they're literally relevant for two, three weeks, and then they go back into anonymity and not able to profit from what has been an entire career of crazy sacrifice and like debilitating injury in a lot of cases. So I mean, I've been having this conversation for years. Um, last year, I started having conversations with the USOPC around kind of reinventing the way that the distribution of payment to athletes has handled and how they can monetize their own branding. So like with every influencer that's on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or wherever the distribution channel is, 
there's like ample ways to monetize that, right? Um, and audience is typically the number one way to do that, whether it's through merchandise or whatever you're kind of selling and shilling, it's great. With Olympic athletes, it doesn't work that way. So if you look at like NBA Top Shot, right? They have the kind of athletes commissioner, so to speak, right? Um, that controls effectively all the rights. So all the athletes that are competing in the NBA, they almost like rel relinquish their rights because they're playing in the NBA. And they're paid like handsomely to do so, but there is like a give and take there, right? And because the Players Association oversees all of their rights, they can effectively work with what's happening with Dapper or you know Top Shot or whoever the entities are that basically say, hey, like if these things are sold on our platform, you basically are only receiving a fraction of what you normally would receive. And then when you see someone like Gronkowski go and do his own, he scrubs the image of all the kind of likeness and IP and all these things. Does it have relevance? Does it have value? What's happening? The challenge, I'm giving that context because with the Olympic space, you've got NBC, you've got the IOC, you've got the USOPC, you've got Getty Images, you've got the individual athletes, you've got the other athletes in the same race, then you've got the individual sponsors that are also there, and then you've got the IOC sponsors there. So like, I originally had this idea of saying like, hey, I want to go create a repository of all of the greatest historically significant Olympic moments in time. Jesse Owens, right? Muhammad Ali, uh. Michael Phelps, like whatever you want to do, right? Like. Tommy on the stand, you know, like holding his fist in the air, like really historical significant moments in time and have them as a part of like a virtual intra real life museum. Like that should be here at Winwood Walls, right? Is here's how you bring sports to an audience maybe that doesn't care about sports culture. and you bring it through culture, through music, through politics, whatever that is. And I had this idea to create all these moments as NFTs and then have like a museum and only like you could have like a, a proper museum like this in place like Abu Dhabi where like they're willing to pour like billions of dollars mm. into this like really cool like AR immersive experience. Um, and the challenge that we had that I ran into very quickly was that the athletes actually don't own the rights to their own shit. Damn, I was gonna say, this sounds amazing. I know, it's yeah. insane. So, yeah. um, <laughs> it's a year ago, a little over a year ago, I started having this conversation and I was like really, really hardcore because I was like, look, and then the way this benefits is like the, the platform can take a small sliver, right, of the fee. And then we can have the majority go towards the athletes or the athletes' families or whatever the, the entity yeah, is. The that, estate that is or whatever estate, it is. Right? Yeah. Or like some like organization that helps oversee. Also, we could pocket like a side over here to say like 10% is going to go towards helping athletes transition beyond sport so that they can communicate to the world that they have extreme productivity they just need to be kind of given guardrails again outside of the Olympic realm. Like that's the biggest, we talked about this when I saw you last, was that like the reinvention for an athlete is this like closely held identity to one side. And then all of a sudden there's this great divorce that happens and the identity that they love, that was that they taught them everything. I'm writing a book about this. That's why I'm like, I'm so passionate about it. It tells them like, you're no longer good enough. I found someone younger who's better. And no matter what you do, you can't come back to me. So you either go be a coach, should be a part of the team somehow, but you can no longer compete and be the star light, star athlete again. And the Olympic space, it's a very short window. And so the athletes then like, shit, like what else am I good at? What do I do? Like what skills do I have? I've like pushed off school. I pushed off social life. Um, I'm like this like very narrow, isolated person that has incredible attributes underneath this layer, but I've never really expressed them outside of leaning on the levers of like my fears of failure or like rage or 
you know, like insecurities and self-doubts to prove myself in my sport because I could physically do that. Now I have to do that against if I'm trying to work in like Web3 or I'm trying to become someone who's a new creator, I've got some 17-year-old kid who's faster, smarter, more experienced than I am and I'm 25 or I'm 26. So like there's this like uh, letdown that happens. And so I had this idea about creating all these little pockets of like, I deeply believe in the value that athletes can bring to society and to, to, to economies because they do contain really cool life lessons that are usually taught later on in your life and they have them right out of the gate. And the work ethic, the discipline, like the the being coachable, all those things are natural. They got punched in the face. Punched in the face many times, (laughs) but they need to be kind of molded and still held in the same way and mentored in a new environment, in a new career. Um, And it's like really frightening and like very visceral in terms of the breakup that you have with that first identity. And so like this NFT platform or this like NFT museum was like my, my, my way of basically funneling this other idea around something that I cared about. And it never took off. And I, I was like very sensitive around like pursuing a project um, that I wasn't going to be able to spend like a ton of time on. Um, Who owns the rights? The rights are owned by like a whole series of people. So the IOC has like the ultimate say over what's happening. But then the person who took the picture for Getty Images <laughs> also has the rights. Um, then the wow. athletes that are also there also have a say. And then the, above the athletes is the U.S. Olympic Committee body. So that's like the U.S. speed skating, right? The U.S. Olympic Committee. Um, yeah, wow. so, it's, so basically what I'm trying to say is it's really complex and it's convoluted. And it should change because there's like a lot of value there. Like to me, when I think about sports and like the pinnacle of achievement in the Olympic space, um, it is quite unique, right? And whether you watch sports or not, like there is something cool around someone dedicate an entire lifetime around a moment that lasts nine seconds or 40 seconds. And in that moment of time, whether you're Nassane Bolt or Michael Johnson or Michael Phelps or whoever that person is, like the difference between first and like being off the podium is like fractions, like hundreds of seconds. And because it's like that, what happens to that person who's in fourth, who's in fifth? I watched this like really cool documentary, I think it was a BBC documentary, on the only person who beat Floyd Mayweather. And it's just, I think it's, I want to say it's this guy who's somewhere in like Eastern Europe. And it showed the two dichotomies of lifestyle difference. You got Floyd, right? He's like crushed it, like super flashy, like all, you know, like money, 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 money. And you got this other dude who like lives in this like localized town that looks like it's been bombed like 10 times. And he's like known, but he's like had like his own bouts of like depression and issues associated. And he was a celebrated hero in his hometown because he won a medal, right? In, In his, in his, for his home country. I know, I just think about that stuff all the time. And like, why do two different like people go down different roads? It's typically because they've been celebrated by one. I'm very lucky, dude. Like I know that I'm very grateful because I was chosen by NBC to be a spotlighted athlete. But why me? Just because I was winning? There's like other people who in the Olympic space that have crazy cool stories that you've never heard about. And I know because I live with these guys in the Olympic Training Center. Like coming out, like, you know, being like an Olympic, imagine being an Olympic gold medalist. I'm gonna say the person's name, but winning a gold medal for like a really hard sport and then retiring for like 10 years, uh, going and living your life, getting married, having kids, then falling into depression, and then having like a drug problem, and then losing your family, losing your kids, no longer have access, losing your job, you have nothing, and then coming back to the sport, because the sport is the only place that you've found that gives you some semblance of feeling important, or some sense of like purpose in some capacity, and then the first match that you have against the number two in the world, you beat him. After 10 years, gives like, me chills. Like, it's like really cool, right? Um, I have no idea where that guy is now, but I remember sitting in this like Olympic training center and seeing like an unfamiliar face 
that could definitely could tell he had been through some shit in his life. And then sitting down with this dude and being like, dude, like, what's up, man? Like, I've seen your picture on the halls in the training center because you're a legend. But where have you been the past 10 years? And he like just for like three hours tells me his life story. I'm like, fuck, no one has told this story. Like, why is NBC not concentrating on this? So, but then that's the power of streaming. And that's why you guys can bring cool people in here. It is just the, uh, I have so many thoughts on that. I mean, I've, as a former athlete on a completely different scale than you, but I played at a high level in college sports. We were the number one team in the country at a number of times. And I think about the thing you said about a few seconds feels like a light you've spent your entire lifetime preparing for a few seconds. Gives me chills thinking about that. Cause I have a moment like that in my career where it was one game and I was out there and I had to get the last out of this game and it was a big crowd and it was a huge game. And I think I thought about that while I was out there, like, Holy shit. I've literally my entire from little league, the first T-ball field I was on to like this moment, this is it. And it's either going to go one way and like this guy's going to hit a 800 foot home run off me and we're going to lose or it's going to go the other way and well, we're going to be celebrating. I just was sitting there and I was like, and I was, it was like a 2-0 count on the guy who was a pitcher. And I remember thinking like, am I really going to walk this guy? We're going to lose. Like, this is it. My entire life of like training for this moment and that's what I'm going to do. And it went the, it went a good way, luckily. <laughs> and I ended up, awesome. it was a celebratory <laughs> moment. But that transition you talk about and the mental health of athletes and the ability to manage that transition, the lack of resources to help them manage that transition. I mean, I've had, I'm sure you know, hundreds of people, like it sounds like you're writing a book about it, which I'll eagerly look forward to. I've had I, one of my best friends in the world was, um, and I don't think he'll mind me saying this, he's one of the most talented baseball players I've ever seen on a field. Um, he was a first overall pick in the MLB draft, like got paid $6 million, insane. One of the most talented people ever has not made it to the MLB, was called the biggest bust in MLB history, in MLB draft history, and dealt with serious struggle as a result of that. Just like defining who you are, because it was for your whole life driven around this one persona of who you are. And he's, and I've had to spend hours talking to him of, you're brilliant. You're an amazing person. It had nothing to do with baseball. That was one iteration of it. But there's a whole new life out in front of you. And we don't do a good job having the resources to actually tell those people that like mm. the things you learned and the lessons you learned weren't so that you could go throw a ball or so you could skate quickly or so you could wrestle well it is so broadly applicable to what you're going to go do next but we don't have institutions resources to go have that conversation with those people at yeah. that next level and it's it's not just olympians or professional athletes like think of um you know u.s veterans or or veterans in general like Failed startup founders. There's millions of veterans who come out come out of training and, and, and service and they're like, okay, like what next? And then they fall into depression and they fall into, you know, a lot of dark places, but they you know, like, you know, training for the Olympics or like training for uh, you know high level sports, they've got they're rooted in a lot of um, great skills. It's just how do we, how do we transform yeah. those people yeah. into the into the real world? I know there's some people trying. Um, I mean, there's organizations, right? Yeah, I, I think these are all. A lot of this is like psychological, and a lot of it's conditioning. You know, I think a lot of people when they come home from service, uh, they probably feel alien, less appreciated, like no one knows what they did, what they went through, and no one can relate. Because that's how I felt, right? I felt like. You don't, you have no idea what it took. 
I wasn't even genetically gifted in my sport. Like I had to go to places like you don't even know about. Like that was my thought, right? Um, and so we absolutely need like real transitory, like just, just transition mechanisms to help a lot of these people because uh, they're powerful, man. But like, I think people go through this all stage in their life. Everyone has to reinvent and pivot at some point. You know, like when I finished the book, which I like. When's it coming out? What's the book called? February, it comes out in February. It's okay. called Hard Pivot. Okay. And it just talks about like, I think our all of our human struggle with reinvention, oh, adaptation to uncertainty, um, and how do I, how did I figure out kind of my own personal way as I'm figuring it out, uh, and just like kind of transparently give like some toolkits, some things that I've had to go through, both on a personal development level, where my own micro traumas have come from, um, and all these things, right? Like, I grew up in a single parent household where you know my father was Japanese, I'm I'm, I'm half Japanese, and he had like extremely high expectations for me. Right, so very tiger father driven, like amazing love, like super lucky to have this. But also, like no matter how bad I failed, he was like, oh, like uh, you can always you can always pick yourself back up. No matter how I, if, even if I won, it was always better. So like that like level of fear of effectively letting down the one person that I sought the most love from in my life, which was my dad, was like deeply rooted at a very early age. And so it drove everything that I did. Everything, like everything was always, I think, and I didn't know this too much later in my life, but I think a lot of people go through that process of like the micro traumas and the experiences that we've had as kids in school, relationships, through work, they affect you unless you deal with them in some capacity. And that's why like during the beginning of the pandemic, like 18 months ago, I was like, man, like I, not only athletes are going through this, I think a lot of people are going through this and there's gotta be a better way. Um, it's never easy, but at least if we can embrace parts of this journey and know that it's not easy and know that there's perhaps a different avenue for us to grow, like at least it makes life a little bit less like Sisyphus. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's just so painful to like always go back down again. And I don't know. And finding the communities to have that outlet to talk about it with peers. Because I always find these things are built up in your mind more than they're real. Like for me, that pivot away from baseball, I was hurt. It was very clear to me, abundantly clear to me that my career was over and that I needed to hang it up. And the hardest conversation you bring up your dad the hardest call in conversation was to call my dad and tell him and i still i mean i still think about it and feel like emotional thinking about it when i called him and i was like dad you're gonna be so disappointed that i'm having to hang it up and he didn't care at all he was just like <laughs> you're I, you've accomplished so much i'm so happy you know that you feel that you need to call me but there was no like these people love you and you have so much support out there and you need, we need to create systems where people realize that, that there is that support, that you have that community around you, like the team rallies around you, the people that you've trained with your whole career rally around you, but you need to not be afraid to seek that out. Because when people go inward and you just retreat into hmm. the shell, that's when you end up with the real struggle I've found. When you're when you're able to just say like, hey, I'm really sad about this. I'm having to change and Dude, the make these changes. The world's strongest prison is right between your two ears. Ooh, that's a great you know what line. I mean? Like it literally is. Like yeah. You can have the most, and we see this with like crypto and Web three and everything that's being created today. Like it's the most powerful tool in the world. It's also like the most damaging tool if it's used against you in the wrong way. And like I lived in that space for a long time. Like I think many athletes do, where like you are literally your own worst enemy. And if you listen to that voice that tells you often that you're not good enough and it's not good enough and it's never going to be good enough and you're not tall enough, you're not attractive enough, you're not smart enough and other people have more than you and, you know, like 
that's a really like uh, confusing and also can be really, really, um, I think just destructive, you know, and you can sabotage yourself. And I think that, you know, I, I for years used that as a lever to like get me up early and keep me up late at night. It was a very motivating tool, but it also kept me like in a little bit of my own prison in a sense, like where I wasn't fully able to accept myself and also love myself for my own inconsistencies and self-doubts and beliefs and just like being human, right? It was, I wanted to be a machine. And yeah. uh, that's the, uh, that's the scary part for me about Web3 and crypto. Yeah. Like the dark side of it is, you know, it's a financialization of everything and everything is liquid and while that has a lot of benefits, mm. it also means you, you're playing a game and you're playing, as Packy McCormick calls it, the great online game. And you want a high score and you're just, it's 24-7. It's not like the markets that close uh, on holidays or the weekends. And, and there's a public scorecard. And it's a public, it's everyone pub, sees it. Everyone sees it. Yeah. So I think, you know, for people playing in the game, the people listening, like, set your own goals and it's fun. it's great to like hit milestones but i think that you know there's <clears throat> going to be a burnout i predict a burnout <laughs> uh and i'm already starting to see some yeah. individuals that are just they're taking it too far yeah it's uh but i'm talking to a you know a two-time gold medalist you're looking at like a, a one-time jump shot not even hero. not even bronze <laughs> medalist in curling yeah no but we all struggle it's, it's funny there's levels to it right you just you, we all struggle with the same things just in different ways and iterations i do think athletes it's a very very I, I, i'm so excited for your book because i have so many friends i went through it I'll personally send, I'll send you a copy, I, i'm super excited for it yeah, i'm yeah, gonna I like share with a lot of friends because I, yeah. I think colleges should be sharing that type of context with their athletes. NCAA had all those commercials, like 99% won't be going professional. We'll be going professional in something other than sports. And for some reason, we didn't hear that message in college enough. And I, I mean, I went to one of the best sports schools in the world and we didn't hear that message. Mm. And so many of my friends were feeling lost after I felt lost. There were times when I was like, how am I gonna have done this and like accomplish what I feel like I've accomplished and not have a job or not be able to go make use of the skills I feel like I've developed. Um, and now I have a lot of friends who've gone and played a few years professionally in whatever sport, football, baseball, and they're like, holy hell, I have the rest of my life. And they might've made, I have friends who have made $80, $80 million playing football or whatever it is. And now they're like, well, shit, I'm 28 and yeah, I have a ton of money, but like I have a whole life to live. I need to find some reason to get up in the morning. It doesn't matter if I have a lot of money. Um, those transitions are just so hard. It doesn't They're matter. Hard. The money doesn't fix it. On your point with like the burnout and there for sure is an incredible, unique opportunity that is existing right now in, in, in all online activity, whether it's crypto, whether you're jumping in, you're being a creator, whether you're trying to develop a community economy, like whatever the iteration is that you are latching yourself onto. I think something to be, make really important for anyone who's building things in the space where Yes, there's a small window of opportunity. And I'm, I'm definitely never one to tell you not to jump out of the airplane with no parachute because there's a lot of power in burning the ships, so to speak. But also, you can't have so much external abundance in your life, but then be in like severe internal poverty. And if that is what's happening, where if you're a trader in crypto and it requires you to be 
so glued to your devices all the time. And if you can't disengage for periods, you're, you're actually no better off than the guy who's working 18 hour shifts. Like you're exactly the same. Your number on the scorecard is just slightly different, but your life is the same. There's nothing that's inherently different. So like, again, like I get it, right? Like everything needs to, like in, in sports, we use the gas principle. And in tech, you know, you go through like short sprints and you know, you go through sprints, right? Okay, the next two weeks, the next week, the next six weeks, it's gonna be a sprint. Everyone hands on deck. It's gonna be not balanced at all. And I think that is important. But I also think it's important to be able to disengage and also be present, right? Because this this race of what's happening in, in Web3 and the development, it's, uh, we're like at the tip of the iceberg. Like where we're heading and the direction that it's going and the opportunities that exist on the other side are the ready player ones. Like that is literally what we are creating in many iterations. And if you are participating in this in some way to reinvent, reimagine, and um, just just change the way that we think about our values between each other, between the different games that we're playing, between the content that you're producing and consuming, between the financialization of products. Um, I always ask myself, like, why does this need to exist? At the end of the day, like, is this actually really important? And if it is, amazing. If it's not, then I'm still playing the game. So, you know, like, like I've done so much like personal deep work, and especially like the past, like I would say, eight years on like, why do I act the way that I do? Why do I operate the way that I operate? What am I chasing? What do I believe life wants for me? And what do I actually really want out of life? Are those things aligned in some capacity? And then I sometimes find myself still being the hamster in the cage, right? Just running, running. Now, at least now, I know that I'm the hamster. I know that I am still on the treadmill. And at times we just have to get off. You know, and so like right now we're doing this at Art Basel, and it's the most insane thing that I've seen in years. Mainly well, we, because of we kind of talked but. about that earlier, yeah. right? Like you showed me your calendar, yep. and I almost puked. Yeah. <laughs> and and I say that with like, I I I feel I felt for you because I was like, I think that. You shouldn't go to, you have two, three, two, how many dinners? Two to three dinners. <laughs> Four dinners. Four, Four dinners. dinners tonight. They're all at the same time. Yeah. Like, I don't know, like, what's the, yeah. yeah. And humans should have one dinner. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the message I want to get. Are you really hungry? Yeah. 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 No, but that's the message I want to get. All day. I, I don't think enough people are hearing that message. Everyone's hearing the message around, and, and by the way, I'm the biggest, like, the future is Web3, the future is yeah. creator, the future is community person and i also don't sleep a lot so i you know but at the same time i'm i i I pull myself out of it and i'm like do i really need to do this right now or can i go and play the guitar or whatever or go and just go for a walk in the park or go do things that are quote-unquote mundane can can i ask you something about that because i think that's i think it's really profound and interesting that you're saying that do you feel more free do I feel more free when I... When you're able to tap into that? Yes. I've learned and, that from him. And, and what does the freedom give you? Like in terms of, I think of two things, right? FOMO and FOPO, right? FOMO we know of that exists mm-hmm. everywhere, in, especially in crypto. FOPO is like fear of other people's opinions, which is sometimes directly correlated with FOMO. Do you feel none of that? I feel, I mean, I'm a human being, <laughs> so I do feel some of that. Um, but I think... I've trained myself to uh, not care what people think and just do 
you know, we were just talking about this this right before where I was uh, I, I was wearing this T-shirt and it, it said Snowden Deli on it, which is this Jewish deli that was like right next to my place growing up. And I wore it to like a famous person's New York Fashion Week party. And this like well-known hip hop artist came up to me and he said, are you wearing a Jewish deli's T-shirt to a New York Fashion Week party? And I was like, I guess I am because I'm here, you know, and it's like, and he couldn't believe it, right? It was like celebrities everywhere and everyone was dressed in. And I think that the freeing part of it is, you add, yeah, do, to, to answer your question, do I feel free? Yeah, I feel free when, I, when I'm able to do what I want to do. Isn't that the definition of freedom? Yeah. It's awesome. I, I, by the way, I, I love that you do that exercise. I think it's really important for all of us to go through that process. Um, I think but there's I, times when, we, when, we, when we, we decide not to. We say, okay, this is, I believe this is important. Or maybe I don't believe it's important, but I, I'm going to do it anyway. And it doesn't mean you can't work hard, right? Like I... No, you got to work hard. That's you got to like work hard. Prerequisite. Yeah. Prerequisite. Full stop. Right? <laughs> like you got to work hard. And like when I'm working, I'm working, right? Like and I'm, I'm all, I'm dialed. But when I'm not, I'm not. That, yeah, that, I mean, I, I think about that as like just being like really just authentic, man. If you can be authentic to yourself and then kind of catch yourself, at least be more mindful of kind of your own internal emotional thoughts that are pulling you or directing you in certain ways, maybe that don't directly are in alignment with your true north of what the ultimate goal here is or the, what the next chapter is in your life. Like it's, it's hard to have that perspective ongoing because we do buy into the external signaling of society telling us what we should have, what you should be doing, which DAO you should be participating in, which new token launch you should have, which new game you should be participating in, which new play to earn, learn to earn, whatever it is. Um, and when you're not, you're less than. Yep. Right. And that's the biggest issue here is like, because you're not in the club, because you didn't get in at this round or because you didn't buy it at this price, you're less than. You're less than smart. You're not, you don't have as much access. You're not in the club. And um, <clears throat> those things are true, right? Maybe in some instances, but they're also just like made up. So I don't know, man. It's a, uh, I think it's like an age old conundrum that we are facing, right? Is like how to balance, <clears throat> I think psychologically between what we know to be externally signaling to us as the new wave of this conditioning is happening, <clears throat> which is to be con you know, connected 24 seven all the time and always available and always ready um, versus like still being human. And then like balancing that, it's tough. Yeah, I, w I mean, I, it's, it's funny. It's like, I'm in between you two sort of on this where I came from a sports background and I had the like very similar mentality that I think you had from what I've read about your background and listened to you speak about it. it was, I was just like complete balls to the wall. Like I'd wake up at four, go to bed at you know 11. Like I had to work harder than anyone else because I knew I wasn't that talented. And I was just like, I just have to work harder than everyone. And I took pride in that. And it was like this deep, I almost had a bitterness about the fact that I wasn't talented and that yeah. drove me it we're like angry. you were better yeah. than me but like fuck you I'm gonna like just do better than you because I'm working harder and I took pride in that and then I took a job in traditional finance and that was like a great breeding ground for that mentality where if you just worked harder and you worked more hours you were like you okay that was you took pride in how many hours you worked 100 hour week it was like oh great you're doing this um and now I'm like in this sort of new world where I'm getting to do more creative things and I'm sort of 
able to work more like a lion than like a uh, than like a cow to use the naval thing of like more in sprints and real creativity and trying to drive things forward and it's important to how i think for me to actually um be able to think clearly and not be foggy all the time because i haven't mm. slept um and so i'm somewhere in the middle of that transition now of like i still have that deep-seated um feeling of like being an underdog and wanting to go figure these things out neither of my parents were in finance like i want to go make money and do a bunch of cool things and like make my parents proud my mom's indian i come from a mixed race background as well and you know indian parents it's like the old thing of like why you're not why you not doctor or like why you not you know now it's like why you not ceo of big tech company because all the ceos now but i still have that but I'm trying to like fight against it to some extent to adopt more of these things. But the, the secret is if you end up having in this new world that we live in, which is like creativity based, mm -hmm. like we're creators, right? We're creating in order to be a great creator. You need to have balance. Like that's what you're going to go on that walk and you're, it's going to hit you. Hey, yes. I should, you know, I just had an idea for a startup. I got to go launch it or Hey, like, you know, you're, you're playing tennis or something and like something hits, right? I so, agree with that. So I think like the more like the more hours to a certain point, like it's a law of diminishing returns. And like I think people need to figure out what that is for them. Is it 35? Is it 45 a week? Is it 50? Is it 70? And like pick something that's less than 100 <laughs> ideally. And uh, and like I like how you put it, right? Be a human. Like I feel like that's a good and thing to like, end on, right? Like, just what makes you happy, man? I, we're all on like a rock hurtling through the universe yeah. and space. Like we're all gonna die. And so like I, I just I think it's so fun that we get to have conversations with really smart people and get to meet people on a daily basis that are working on cool things. That motivates me to want to work a lot. That's cool because I can go and have conversations with smart people. This week you're here. You're meeting all these people. Part of what's motivating about that for you, I imagine, is like. There's a bunch of cool people that are building the future and you get to go have conversations with them and be a part of that and that's fucking cool no matter how you slice it that's a cool thing to be, cool. be in it you're in the, i mean we call this where it happens it's like being in the room where it happens that's what we all want to do we all want to be a part of it and that's like the brilliance of all of this and why i feel so lucky um i also think it's a great place to cut off our time here because i know we're up against the end so yeah man thanks, that was, for, uh, thanks for having me that was awesome so excited where can people find you so i know you have pivot coming out in february hard pivot, hard pivot comes out in february. coming out in february yep. where can people follow you on social um, you know i'm on ig uh i don't post a ton okay. i'm on twitter obviously yep um the well, only I'll, apollo I'll, I'll, I'll I'm out there I, i'm not on tiktok i don't do snap okay um, but i think twitter's probably the best place yep um to communicate yeah Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And Tribe Crypto, um, doing amazing things. So excited yeah, to see yeah, what you awesome, guys build. Awesome team. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is an awesome team. I can definitely vouch for that. It's super exciting. Thank you so much, man. Thanks, guys. Real, thank real you. honor. Wow. Um, that was far ranging. I felt like we covered, I mean, he sat with us for a lot longer than I thought. So we ended up getting to a whole lot of stuff, which was crazy to me, by the way. Just like, it's not a takeaway, but getting to sit down with a guy that I've admired as long as that, who's become a friend. Just super cool life moment for me. So I'll let you go first. What was your one big takeaway? I mean, I'm, I'm impressed with... I mean, I'm impressed with you about this too. You and him is just the ambition and and how you, you guys are like machines. Like you... There's something about sports and, and professional sports that just teaches you really, really uh, to push it to the limits. And I admire that. But there is also some downsides, and we talked about it. And I, I think, uh, 
I think that push and pull is healthy, but I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. I mean, you've pushed me to think a lot on those things and, and it's made my life better. So I'm like, I'm thankful for that personally, that I have a counterpoint to like be a sparring partner to help me kind of ease up on things a bit. And so I the, do appreciate so that. the takeaway for everyone listening really is just, uh, don't push yourself too hard. Yeah. And also push yourself. <laughs> well, it's hustle, but yeah. no one to rest. Yeah. You got to know when to rest. It's like work like a lion. Yeah. You got to sprint when you're sprinting and really focus, but then know when to rest and like a lion knows when to sleep after it sprints. And then I can't leave this episode without my one big takeaway, which is I love this idea of buying the X Games. <laughs> and I like, I'm going to sing it from the rooftops. I want to go do this. And if it's still literally on the block for $50 million, I think we could do it. I think there's a massive opportunity here, like enormous opportunity for the X Games. So if anyone's interested, we're going to jump in the Discord. Wag BXG. We're going to buy the X Games. Four Sigmatic is the secret sauce behind the Where It Happens podcast. You know how much I've been talking about that hot cocoa, the one that's jam-packed with the reishi mushrooms. It absolutely has been transforming my mornings. I have it at night, completely chills me out, takes out all my stress, and allows me to have a good night's rest. After those long days of tequila on the set, I'm sure that's helpful. I mean, it does help. The sweet vanilla plant-based protein is the one that I've been going to. After my workouts in the mornings, it's been a game changer. 18 grams of plant-based protein, adaptogens, jam-packed with mushroom goodness, it's been a complete game changer for me. So to go check it out, go to foursigmatic.com and use code THEROOM at checkout. Greg, why do you look so tired? I look so tired because I did not sleep last night. Have you never slept well or is this a new thing? It's not that I can't fall asleep. I fall asleep like right away, but I wake up a couple hours later and I'm just sitting in my bed and I look at the ceiling and I can't fall back asleep and I don't know what to do. So I was literally you. And for the longest time, I was this like hustle culture bro, sleep when I'm dead, didn't want to sleep, didn't care about my sleep. And then I honestly, I started reading more of the research and realizing how impactful sleep is to your longevity, to your health, all of these other things. And as part of that, I found eight sleep which has completely revolutionized the way I sleep. I've heard of 8sleep. Can you tell me more about it? Think of it as like the future of sleep. All of these mattress companies have created these mattresses. They're just stock. They're stock mattresses. 8sleep is technology plus sleep combined. So the whole product is built around optimizing the temperature that you sleep at. And so you've read about sleeping cold is the key to sleeping. And it's not quite true. Everyone has a different optimal sleep temperature and it changes throughout the night, which is the crazy part about it. So you might need really cold to fall asleep and then you might need it to be a little bit warmer to keep you asleep. And the eight sleep actually transitions your temperature through the night to keep you at the optimal sleep, temp sleep temperature at any point during the night. It keeps you asleep, it helps you fall asleep faster. And I actually, since I started using it, have been sleeping better and feeling so much more energized during the day as a result. Sounds like I need an eight sleep. I think everyone needs an eight sleep. So if you're tuning in right now and you want to try out the 8sleep to completely change the way you sleep, rest, recover, so that you're ready to take on all of life's challenges, check out 8sleep.com slash where it happens to get a discount on your first product. Here's a tip. Don't be like Greg Eisenberg. Be like Sahil Bloom. <laughs> Join our free community at trwih.com.